tell the audience a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm Kiani. I am a podcaster. I'm the host of the Grow to Be Free podcast, which is a self-development podcast focused on helping young, ambitious women learn how to pursue their dreams while finding peace and maintaining a strong mental health. And I'm also an account manager at a marketing agency called Stack Agency. So I've been working in marketing for about five or so years, but I have a real passion for self-development and helping other people learn how to develop them themselves into becoming the best versions of themselves. So that's a little bit about who I am. Mm. So helping young um, women really, you know, find peace and also be successful, like what inspired you to want to help young women and why, why that specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. And it really stems from my own personal story and some of the things that I went through growing up, particularly in, in college. So um, you and I both know you're a part of College Works Painting, which was mm-hmm. an uh, incredible internship that allows you to learn how to run your own painting business. And so that was kind of like the first step for me to really figure out, oh, okay, like, first of all, I'm super ambitious. I want to do a lot of things. I want to be successful. You know, all of these things I learned about myself in that internship. And I was like, okay, great. Like, let me, let me pursue success, like super duper hard. And it was in that period of time in college. And then a little bit after college where I just started to really burn myself out. And I, I reached a breaking point a little bit after college at like 22, 23. And I, I realized that it was, it was so hard on me and I didn't really get super far. Like I learned so many important things about business, about success, about mindset, all of these things. But yet I was still in a place where I was unhappy. I was mentally in a rut. I was depressed, anxious, you know, all the things. And also, you know, diving into behaviors that were self-destructive, like drinking, um, Mm. drugs, sex, you know, all the things that just really exacerbated the problem at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time that I I started to get into more self-development and I I had a friend, her name is Rachel. She, she introduced me to the law of attraction, that book. Mm. I read that book that helped me to realized that I didn't have to stay there. I didn't have to stay in that mindset. I didn't have to stay in the place of um, darkness, that I can actually help myself get out of that um, just through changing my mindset. So that's when I started to really um, start to develop my own positivity skills and start to really focus on my own joy and inner peace. And since then, I've really started to prioritize peace um, for myself. And since then, I've, I've really been able to turn my life around. And on top of that, like I, I um, started to go back to church. I, I found uh, my faith or rededicated my life to Christ. And that also added on to the self-development for me because I started to grow in a bunch of different areas. And now I just, I feel so passionate about it because it's something that's really helped me get from a dark place to a really amazing place. And I, I wouldn't have traded those skills, traded those skills or traded those experiences for anything. And now I just feel like, there's so much that I can share and so much that I can 
pull from other women or other people to share on my podcast that can help other women learn how to grow and learn how to not be stuck in a place. Because there's nothing that breaks my heart more than seeing a woman or just anybody in general stuck in a place and they don't know how to get out. Like, that's so sad to me. So Mm -hmm. if I can provide something of value that can help them get out of that place in a little way, then I I feel like I've done the world a service. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's really powerful, you know, helping not only just, you know, realizing that you were in a place of depression, anxiety, and then you getting out of it, but also having the, um, almost like the passion to help other people do the same thing. So I'm kind of curious about that though. You know, I'm sure you heard like you can't really help someone that doesn't want to be helped, you know? So do you find that as you're like talking about this, there's certain types of people that are just not ready to receive your message yet? 100%. Yeah. I think there's so much truth to that statement. And I've had several people that I've come across, whether they be friends or acquaintances who I've, I've tried to help. And you start to realize that they have a mindset that isn't going to allow them to progress or to grow. And for those types of people, I've, I've typically just shown them love and given Mm -hmm. them as much love as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, tested the waters, given them a little bit of advice that has helped me and, and seen what they did with it, whether it be in that moment or, you know, by the next week or in a few months, if, if there hasn't really been too much progression, then you kind of know like, oh, they they might not be ready for it yet, but mm-hmm. it, it's still valuable to share that with somebody because you never know. They might wake up one day and realize like, oh, shoot, like I remember what that girl told me one time mm-hmm. and that makes sense now. You know, it might not right. have sense in the moment, but then it makes sense like a few years later and that seed was still planted, you know, so mm-hmm. I think it's always valuable to share things, even if somebody isn't quite ready. Yeah. Yeah, I find that to be the case too. Like we're all at different sort of um, places in our journey. And so some of us might not be like I, you know, for example, myself, I remember first thing that comes to mind was back in college works, um, you know, college works kind of like had us read the book, seven habits of highly effective people, you know, all about productivity, all about, you know, mindset, being more effective with your time. I read the book and I wasn't ready to receive it yet. You know, I was still immature. And so I actually read it uh, last year, like towards December. And, um, it hit a lot different this time around, you know, years later, because I'm actually ready to receive it now. And, you know, I have a need for that. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree. So do you, um, you know, let's kind of break down a little bit more about like what you did to get out of it, you know, out of that rut and anxiety, you know, you mentioned like reading the book, law of attraction, you know, Rachel uh, referred it to, is that it? Is that all you did? You read the law of attraction and suddenly, you know, you were out of it or what else did you do besides that? Oh, absolutely not. It was, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I still feel like it's a journey even to this day. I mean, now I'm 26 and I probably read the law of attraction four years ago at this point. Um, so I think that was just kind of like an open door, right? Like I, I read it and I was, it just kind of opened my door, my eyes to a different concept or, you know, some new concepts that I could start to try out. And, you know, I started to test them out for myself and start to figure out, okay, like, like this, like having more of a 
positive mindset or positive perspective about a certain situation will help me to start feeling better. So that was kind of like the first step, like is, you know, how can I be more positive on my day to day? I think that was kind of like step mm -hmm. one for me because I was it's in such a dark spot. Mm -hmm. um, and then it started to be more about habits and getting myself out of bed because I had this very mm -hmm. bad habit of after I'd come home from work, I would turn on Game of Thrones and mm -hmm. I would just binge watch it for like until the wee hours of the night you know like that was like my routine and I had no desire to do more than that um I think partially just because of like the depression but also because of just it feels so comfortable right it feels so comfortable to like come home and especially after a long day at work that is new to you and you're you know you've used a lot of brain power to learn a bunch of things during the day you're just so exhausted that that's kind of all you want to do mm -hmm. um but once i started to break myself mm -hmm. out of that cycle and start investing into other other things like i i already knew i was so um ambitious like what was the new thing that I was gonna pursue right outside of my job and so I started to get into um more books and started to read more books I started to um look at courses and try to figure out okay like what is it that I want to be doing outside of my job because I knew you know just being at a job isn't something for me so how am I going to start um getting out of that. Uh, so it was really just like a, a period of three, three or so years where I started to just build new habits and start mm -hmm. to have new inputs. Like I, I got um, some coaching done and like those coaches really did help me change my mindset a lot. And so that was kind of the next step of like, now I'm leveling up my mindset and, and starting to build newer and better habits that were going to feed my growth. And so it was just kind of a snowball effect from there, mm -hmm. I would say. And it's always a practice too. So after, after I started to get some coaching, I started going back to church and I started to learn a little bit more about my own self-worth and start to develop that. And, and especially for women, I think self-worth is, um, an area where we struggle in just, you know, from being little and going all the way up into old age. Hmm. And uh, when I started to learn about how worthy I am, just from a godly perspective, it started to translate into other areas of my life. And I, I can really say that was owed to my uh, my community at church as well. Like I, I met some really incredible women um, who are, you know, around my age, maybe a little bit older, who really kind of instilled their values into me and not because they were like teaching it at me, but because they just lived it and they, they shared things about themselves that I was like, that's how I want to be, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I want to follow that example. Like that's the kind of woman that I would like to be. So, you know, let me start changing some things in my life to help me get to that place. And so, um, since then it's, it's really been about that. It's like, who, who do I want to be and how can I, work on being that person on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, I think the first thing you said, which was positivity is so huge. And then mindset, I mean, 
it's, it's difficult to reframe your mind. You know, if you're like so used to negativity and thinking a certain way and being pessimistic, making that switch can be really difficult, but it really comes down to the habits, like you mentioned and training yourself and catching yourself whenever, you know, you're negative and flipping that into a positive somehow. And I think we all struggle with that from times, you know, from time to time, you know, like we're not all perfect and just forgiving ourselves, you know, whenever we have, you know, an incident like that. so self-worth you know that what what does self-worth look like yeah um before I jump into that question Mm -hmm. something you said about you know forgiveness um Mm -hmm. that's something that's really huge and I think a lot of people skip over that you know Mm -hmm. forgiving yourself for being negative you know in that example is huge because we might have an ambition or a goal to be positive or to have a certain mindset, but we are going to slip up. There's Mm -hmm. no guarantee that even if you've learned it a million times that you're going to be consistent with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we can't forgive ourselves, like you said, we end up having shame about it or guilt about it. And shame and guilt are one of the, um, biggest killers of joy in my opinion Mm. Um, and you get to when you once you get into like a shame cycle it starts to be like a downward spiral so we Mm. do have to learn how to forgive ourselves in various situations so that way we can learn how to be kind to ourselves to ourselves which kind of does relate to Mm self-worth right because if, if we don't consider ourselves worthy of forgiveness or worthy of kindness, we're not going to be able to show ourselves love. And at the end of the day, if we can't show ourselves love, we can't truly show other people love as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a balance, you know, like, you know, as ambitious people, you know, I would, I would consider myself pretty ambitious, got big dreams, big goals, big, you know, big vision. And so like, you got to hold yourself to a high standard, you know, to hit habits and like, you know, hit goals at the same time. But then on the opposite spectrum is like, if you don't, you know, do some of the things that you set out to do, it's okay and forgiving yourself. So it's definitely a balance, you know, it could be a tough balance if you're at the end of either extreme. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And I I think that's really the crux of what I work on for myself and what I, I strive to help other people with too, because um, you're right. It it is a difficult balance. It's like, where does, where do you draw the line? Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just about picking yourself back up and dusting yourself off and, and realizing that you're not perfect and not expecting yourself to be perfect and not expecting other people to be perfect and continuing to take one step at a time Mm -hmm. so how do how would you define that gray line you know like teaching you know you teach people to accept themselves self-worth but then like you can't just do that all the time right like you still have to strive to become better and improve as a person you know and not accept all the you know negative or bad things about you so like where do you draw that line and teach, you know, women to draw that line? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I think it's probably going to be different for each person. Um, Cause the, the things that I personally struggle with, with self-worth and um, you know, forgiveness and my own goals is going to be different from yours. So, you know, like I'll just explain in the context of my own situation. Right. Cause I, I am a perfectionist. That's kind Mm. of how 
I've grown up is being a perfectionist and being an overachiever. And that's because of, of a myriad of different things from my childhood, you know, how my mom raised me, you know, my mom is a very Asian mom. So she, mm. she definitely held me to a high standard and that, you know, that type of high standard was just kind of ingrained in me from a very young age. Now, with that kind of context in mind, it's it's now, okay, like now I know my tendencies. And so once you know somebody's tendencies of where they start to go, whether it's be overachieving perfectionism, or maybe it's self-deprecation, maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's ooh, like a low self-confidence in the fact of you never try to do something because you mm -hmm. never think that you're going to be good at it. You know, those are two different types of people. Um, but once you know that person's tendencies and you know that about yourself, then you can realize, okay, I know going into this job interview, I'm probably going to start thinking this, this, and this, or maybe you're already mm. thinking right and so now you have a level of self-awareness that you didn't have before and you can now self-diagnose yourself of like all right I'm leaning towards perfectionism right now or I'm leaving leaning towards self-deprecation why do I feel like I want to give up right now I want to give up because of x y and z and so why do I feel this way and for me it goes back to hey well this is just how my brain was trained went back when I was very young and so does that mean that I should be like this in this particular situation. Maybe not, you know, that's a own personal conversation that you need to have with yourself is to figure out, hey, what are the lies that I'm telling myself or the lies that I'm hearing in my brain? And what is the truth actually in this situation? And also uh, even playing devil's advocate with yourself of, what would what would happen if the worst thing happened right mm -hmm. you know, how would that scenario play out you know mm -hmm. if i didn't get this job what would actually happen well i would need to go find another job right is that so bad no <laughs> right so you you can start to have these conversations with yourself that allow you to realize that your overthinking or your uh, self-deprecation or your low, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, negative self-talk mm. is not getting you anywhere great. You know, it's not taking you another step forward. It's actually holding you back. So when we start to self-diagnose and recognize those things, then we can start to bring the truth to it, which is you know, I, I can get this job. I, I can. And if I don't, I can get another one. It doesn't define who I am as a person. I can do what I want to do. And even if this situation isn't the one for me, I can now take another step towards something that is going to be the right thing for me. And it's not a reflection of me. So it's, it's all a practice and none of this happens like super fast, but you know, the more the, I, I always say that self, self-awareness is the first step mm -hmm. and the more self-awareness we can have, the more that we can start to untangle that mess in our heads that tends to crop up. Right. Yeah. Self-awareness is huge. And that's one of the, I would say my weaknesses is self-awareness. And I definitely had to build it over time because I think um, for me, like, I really don't care you know what other people think so like because I don't care I think that kind of ties into like myself you know and and so it's important to understand you know where my strengths are where my weaknesses are 
and um, and play that out. So how do people like build self-awareness? You know, like when you are teaching women, like, hey, you, you got to be self-aware. What's, what's, you know, kind of like a way that people can achieve that? That's a, oh, that's also a really great question. I, and first of all, I commend you for being honest about that, about yourself, that you, that you don't have the greatest self-awareness. And I think that in itself is self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. If you are aware that you aren't completely self-aware, that is <laughs> level of self-awareness. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it, it is in those little steps that you recognize, okay, like you recognize something about yourself that is a weakness and now you're, now you're aware of it. So So when we're trying to teach people how to be more self-aware, it's all about metacognitive thinking. And what Hmm. metacognition is, is thinking about thinking. So you have to be a little bit more in tune with your thoughts. And so a, a lot of people aren't very in tune with their thoughts. And so that tends to be the first step of like, okay, you might be working. If you're working, how can you be a little bit more in tune with what you're thinking about while you're working? Because if you don't know what your thoughts are, you are not self-aware. So if you can start to recognize your thoughts of pick out, oh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about typing this letter or, you know, I, something simple, you know, it could be something very simple about like, oh, I'm typing this, but yet I'm thinking about what I want to make for dinner. You know, you're starting to recognize, okay, I'm actually thinking about something else than mm-hmm. what I'm doing here. So once you start to realize what your thoughts are, then you can start to pick out what are the positive things that you're thinking and what are the negative ones. And nine times out of 10, you're going to figure out that you have an overwhelming amount of negative thoughts compared to positive ones, because that's how our brains are. Um, There's been studies done on it that most of human thought is negative as opposed to Mm -hmm. positive. And so that's normal. So if you start to realize that a lot of I'm, I'm saying some really mean things to myself right now, or I'm thinking some very bad things are going to happen, then, you know, it's, it's normal and you don't have to freak out about it, but it's like, now you have that awareness, right? You're aware of not only is this thought negative, but what is this thought about? Is it about myself? And tying back to self-worth is like, if you realize a lot of your thoughts are, you know, negatively talking to yourself, then you're aware of it now. So it really just starts with um, being in tune with our thoughts and they could be very small. And I think one one way of learning how to do that is through meditation. A lot of people find meditation very difficult though. So I I think you can learn how to be aware of your thoughts even outside of meditation. Um, But I do recommend it if you're able to. Um, if you are having trouble with meditation for any reason, um, I, I really like to think about my thoughts while I'm driving or mm. you know, when I'm doing something kind of mindless, like cooking or washing dishes, you know, cause you're, 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 you're busy in a way and you're doing something, your body is occupied, but it allows you to kind of go inward and really like tune into what's going on up here. And that's mm. really what meditation is. The only difference is meditation. You're typically just sitting down and doing nothing and people have issues with that. <laughs> so if you can do something a little bit mindless with your body and start to go inward and start to think a little bit more about what you're thinking, that that can start to spur some self-awareness for you. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's so huge. You know, like I read a book called um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Uh, that was in college. And one of the things he says is being aware of your thoughts, you know, being an observer and just sitting back. And it's like almost like if you're sitting on a bench and you're just observing your thoughts go by and you can start to see the negative ones, you know, and, and some people aren't even aware that they have negative feelings. And then whenever something happens, like, you know, they have this built-in emotion that comes out, they're reacting. But if you like start to be more aware of your thoughts, you can start to you know, just focus on the positive ones and not be so um, almost in control of your emotions and your thoughts. So yeah, I think that's huge, um, having self-awareness. So you mentioned like your mom, you know, held you to a high standard, like, you know, does she still do that, you know, and do you like have conversations with her about it? Like, have you ever talked to her about it? You know, tell me about that. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, the good thing is, is now that I'm an adult and I'm very <laughs> self-sufficient, uh, she doesn't do this anymore. Um, it was mostly, you know, from, you know, being a kid until, until I turned 18. 18 mm -hmm. is when I started to like leave her house. And so mm -hmm. I started to get a little bit of freedom from that, mm -hmm. which I really needed at the time because it, it was traumatic, honestly. Um, not just the the high standards, but I mean, I come from a divorce family, so there was a lot of um, anger, a lot of uh, fighting going on on a on a regular basis. So mm. uh, that was also very traumatic. But um, yeah, I have had a chance to talk to her about these things, and um, it has been healing, I would say, which is always good if you're able to share share the past issues that you've had with a parent or, you know, a loved one and, and it's received well, and it's, you know, it's, um, it isn't, uh, gaslighted in any way, or it isn't, you know, there isn't negative connotations brought up at that time. It can be a very healing experience. So since then, um, she, she is now aware of just the standards that she's held for me. Um, but it doesn't come up anymore and she doesn't really do that so much. Um, her main concern now is just about my safety and she seems <laughs> to think that I don't know how to keep myself safe, but that's, I think that's just like a normal, like parent thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, uh, yeah, that's my mom too. She's, um, always concerned about safety. So, and that being said, like, you know, I, uh, and this could be a little controversial, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. I think we, as a society, we're doing a lot better, you know, with like recognizing mental health and that's a real thing. And, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, I feel like we're at a good place. I mean, of course we can always improve, but I feel like we've, as a society, really recognized it and have been doing a lot, you know, and sharing solutions for that. Now, I also think that sometimes people take it to the extreme, right? They might just be feeling stressed out, but then they use the term depression or they use the term anxiety, right? They're exacerbating the problem. And I think it's so important to be careful of the words that we tell ourselves and use, right? And so just like, you know, if you, if you're just thinking positive, I mean, positively, or if you're thinking negatively, that's going to determine the outcome of your life. And so similar with words, if you're using like negative words all the time, you know, that's going to determine how you feel. You might build a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're just more negative and negative, negative, because you're using all these negative words. So how much do you think of like, if you had to put a number on it, like 
how many people do you think are just using the word anxiety and depression when they're just really stressed or a little, you know, just had a bad day, you know, versus actually being, you know, having anxiety and depressed? Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't quite put a number on it, but just because I don't know the research on that, it'd be really interesting if there is research about that, because you're you're 100% right that, you know, our words do really affect the status of our mental health and the direction in which our life goes. So I, I wouldn't be able to put a number on it of how many people or the ratio of people who do that, but I have seen it in um, some of my friends' lives. And mm. and honestly, I, I don't think it's my job or I don't even think it's you know somebody else's job to tell them whether or not that they're clinically depressed or clinically anxious, unless that person is a psychologist and mm-hmm. has experience right. in that field. So it's hard for me to even say or tell somebody whether or not they're in one direction or the other, just because I don't have the qualifications to tell somebody that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think what's important, whether whether you are clinically diagnosed with depression or anxiety or not, it is important to your point to talk about it in a way that conduces a healthy growth from it. Mm, So mm -hmm. for example, um, I, I would recommend to people, if you're struggling with anxiety, for example, you can say, I struggle with anxiety, but I'm working on it. Or Mm. instead of saying I have anxiety or I have depression saying I am working through anxiety, I am working through depression because that, that, although it's not happy go lucky positive, it is, Hey, I am working on it, which is true. First of all, if it's a true thought, it's going to hold more weight for you. Uh, Second of all, it, it, is emphasizing the fact that you are growing and you are working towards something that is a good goal in mind. So for any sort of, you know, maybe diagnosis or, you know, something that somebody might be going through that is negative um, without invalidating the truth of that statement or without invalidating that person's truth, they can talk about it in a way that is positive and getting themselves through it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just had, you know, a f- few people in a row, you know, like in, on my podcast, bring up that, you know, the words that you tell yourself and how important it is um, and how it ter- determines, you know, your thinking and your thoughts and your feelings, you know. And, and so one of the things, the last podcast uh, person I interviewed, Matt Stewart, you know, uh, you know, uh, from College Works, he's like, Oh, this, the stress I'm feeling, it's like, yeah, I'm working through it, but this stress is good. You know, this is going to help me become a better person, deal with stress, boom, like let it go. And like, you know, almost like reframing each thought, negative thought into a positive and then letting it go, you know, like confronting your thoughts straight on instead of just letting it fester inside you. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that is that you, you can't just ignore the thoughts, <laughs> you can't just ignore the feelings that are coming up, because that tends to put like a, a bandaid on the solution, right? It, it just piles up, it piles up, it piles up, and then it's going to overflow at some point. I'm so guilty of this. By the way. <laughs> if you ever want to know what happens to you, if you just continuously like bury things, uh, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> 
definitely happened to me but um but yeah I think definitely confront confronting it and realizing like okay what is the truth of the situation and I love that Matt Stewart talks about okay you know this stress is actually going to help me get better as a person you know that was the truth that comes from it and then now he can move forward in a better way so absolutely agree mm-hmm. yeah do you think um people that bury do you think it's like a personality type or do you think like you know people that are a little bit more easygoing you know not as like confrontational um are more likely to you know do that to themselves where they just kind of like shove down their emotion and thoughts like what are your, or do you think like everybody struggles with it you know what are your thoughts on that yeah, I, I definitely think there's a few factors that can go into why somebody might do that or their um, inclination to want to do that. And I just from speaking from personal experience, I'm very non-confrontational. I'm very like uh, very easygoing. So I do fit in that category you described. And and I think that did play a factor into why I, I started to bury things. Mm. Um, I think another factor could be how that person was raised. And so if they grew up in a household where they didn't feel like they had a voice or they didn't have, um, or if they didn't feel like they were going to be heard, or if they felt like their, their feelings and emotions didn't matter, you know, that person is also very likely to want to bury things because they've been trained to suppress. They've Mm. been trained to keep it in because in their minds, nobody else would like to hear it. So that person is also going to struggle to um, open up to, to things. And, and, you know, there's probably some other, um, other factors that play into it as well. But I think personality is definitely one of them. Um, How somebody was raised is another. And, and just the, the overall, um, yeah. Oh, actually, I would also say like a socioeconomic status as well. So I, I think I think race can play into it. Um, I think also gender can play into it because um, I'll just speak from a gender perspective. Right. Um, you know, growing up, a lot of women heard, you know, women are quiet or, you know, or women are slow to speak or, you know, there's certain um, language or um things that were told to us when we were younger of, you know, women are supposed to be like this. Mm. And there's also something about, you know, since race is also a big factor in our society is that, you know, black lives matter right now. Absolutely. But back then, or, you know, before black lives matter really became a thing, it's like, they felt like they didn't have a voice to share things, you know, a Mm. lot of Um, and of course that's changing and growing and that's how it should be going. But it's like, if you were kind of taught those things, whether it be explicit or implicitly said, um, you are going to feel like you're going to have to suppress things for one reason or or the other. Um, it could also be too, for, for men, like men have, and you might have experienced this, men are often told like, oh, to be a man, you have to, uh, be strong. You have to be tough. You have to not show emotion. Right. And so men typically will struggle with sharing their emotions or, you know, um, actually working through those things because they feel like they're not going to be manly if they Mm. show vulnerability. So there's a whole bunch of things that can go into it yeah I wonder if that's one of the reasons why um you know men are in the society are struggling you know I see some of the numbers like you know, a lot of men are committing suicide a lot of men are 
um, falling into depression, alcoholism, alcoholism, drug overdoses. And I wonder if it's like one of those things where they're not used to, you know, understand their emotions and expressing that, you know? Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. Um, I recently read this book called Daring Greatly by mm -hmm. Brene Brown, and it is all about vulnerability and mm -hmm in different contexts. And so she's a, a, a researcher who's studied vulnerability for, for years upon years. And so she shares a lot of her research and also, you know, personal testimonies that she's found from, um, you know, either people in her life that are come forward and shared. And a lot of them are men and they, they don't know how to process the emotions, like you said, and they also have trouble expressing it. So if, if, if you haven't had a lot of practice in um, uh, recognizing your own emotions or mm -hmm. even expressing them, it's going to be really, really hard, especially in adult age, after the point of which our brains have already mm -hmm. developed, it's going to be really challenging to start to learn how to do that. It doesn't mean that it's impossible, but once you're an adult and you have responsibilities, you have all of these different things in your life that you have to now balance, it does become much harder to start to develop these um, tools and habits that can help you um, be in a place where you're, you're safe and you feel like you're safe to be able to express yourself. So um, that that's one reason why I think therapy is super important because it is supposed to create a safe space for you. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of men especially don't feel very comfortable sharing things with their wives because in their, in their heads, they feel like in order to be the man in the relationship or in order to be a husband, they need to be the strong one and they can't show emotion. And unfortunately, that stereotype is perpetuated by women and wives also. So hmm. a lot of men don't feel 100% comfortable sharing things with their wives sometimes because they feel like she might think less of them, which may hmm. or may not be true. Um, but, you know, regardless you know, that man needs to feel safe in the environment in which he's being vulnerable. So therapy does create that environment in which he can start to express himself and become um, comfortable sharing his emotions and working through that. And once he feels like he is safe, then he can feel more comfortable coming to his wife with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's powerful. That is some deep stuff. And I can, I can definitely relate, you know, like, even, you know, it's almost like society has hit you with it so many times that it's kind of like ingrained in your back of your head and you have to like retrain your brain to not, you know, to not think that certain way. Um, yeah, I think as men, like, you know, you're told to not show emotion. You're told to be strong, like you said, to, um, you know, to be like the the rock, you know, the rock of the relationship, you know? And so like, yeah, that, that might be why they're not comfortable. Many men are not comfortable sharing, you know, their emotions and being vulnerable with their wives. So yeah. I could definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a problem for sure. And I, I think both genders go through issues with this in different ways and it just, it manifests differently um, for different couples, just depending on their, their history and how they've grown up and, you know, just, the the dynamics between the relationship so it's always something that needs to be aware of first and then you know worked through in a way that's uh helpful for both parties mm -hmm. and i think even just therapy in general 
you know, I feel like a lot of men, you know, um, might feel a certain way, you know, when they hear therapy, like, oh, I don't need that stuff, you know, like, I don't need to share my emotions and my problems with someone else, you know, and it goes back to that vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and it's great that, you know, we're talking about it here on this podcast and, you know, we're talking about it in, in mass media a little bit more. It was like mental health is becoming more normalized to have, um, or sorry, mental health illnesses and, you know, just issues with mental health are more accepted, um, and more understood a little bit more. And then therapy is becoming normalized. So Mm -hmm. uh, whenever I, I come across anybody who, says, oh, you know, I, I love therapy or, or, you know, like therapy is so great. I, I asked them, do you go to therapy? <laughs> and it's so funny, Fong. Um, most of them will be like, no, I have never gone. <laughs> and it That's cracks funny. me up. It cracks me up sometimes because it's like, hey, you know, I'm glad that you feel very positive about it. That's the first step. But um, in order to fully get the benefits from uh, the, the change in the narrative, we actually have to go, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. we have to put in the work and put ourselves in those vulnerable situations or else nothing actually changes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. Hmm. So, um, regarding like, let's talk, let's kind of deep dive a little bit more into that. So you go to therapy, you know, you meet with a psychologist, psychiatrist, and you kind of work through your problems, you know, I'm just thinking like, what, you know, are all, you know, like I start to question, like, are all psychologists good? You know, like, just like doctors, not every doctor is good. Like if you go to your doctor and let's say um, you're overweight, you know, a good doctor would be like, Hey, like, here are some problems that could happen if you're overweight. Let's figure out how we can create a healthier lifestyle. Right. And then I could see some doctors like being afraid of just telling someone, you know, that they need to lose weight. Right. And that would, I, in my opinion, would be a bad doctor because they're not doing that person a service, you know, um, to tell them the truth of what needs to happen. And so with psychologists, you know, like I sometimes wonder if like all of them are, you know, actually having a tough conversation, you know, with their patients or not, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I could totally be off here. Yeah, I'm just kind of talking. About, no, you know, I mean, you're hundred percent right. Yeah, there's definitely a level of skill that goes into either a counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, you know, wherever, um, whatever part of the spectrum they fall into. Mm-hmm. And then depending on which niche, I think is also important to know too, because some psychiatrists or psychologists fall into like, um, like marriage counseling or, you know, sex therapy, you know, and others fall into the category of trauma and abuse and PTSD, you know, so it's, it's also knowing the different, um, niches that somebody can fall into and making sure that you're going to somebody who's in the correct niche. Mm-hmm. Um, the other factor that I've personally experienced with, um, uh, therapy is, is you, it's kind of like dating. You mm-hmm. have to, go and check out a bunch of different therapists and figure out if that person's right for you. And it doesn't necessarily reflect on their skill level. Sometimes a lot of the times it's, it's a matter of um, personality. It's a matter of Mm. being able to relate. And, you know, for example, you know, if you are a black woman um, and you have a, a therapist that is a white man, 
you might not be able to, or he might not be able to relate to you as much as if you were to go to a black woman therapist. Right. Mm. Um, now there are some rare situations. Like I have a friend who, who is, uh, you know, um, part Indian, part Pakistani, part, uh, part Iranian, and she goes to a white male therapist and mm. that therapist is really great for her. So although mm. the cultural backgrounds doesn't necessarily match up, he has a very great skill that mm-hmm. is of value to her. And the only way that she was able to know that is if she went to go see him in the first place. And mm-hmm. if the last people or the last therapist that she went to wasn't actually helping her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me personally, I've had an experience where I've had mostly great experiences with, with therapy and I've had great therapists that have always been able to help me aside from one, <laughs> I had one, um, that I, that I got from betterhelp.com, which is, um, a very incredible app to, to get, um, virtual therapy. And I, I gave her, I think maybe three sessions. And I think it's important to give people a chance because the first, the first session is always just more of like a get to know you type of session uh, and you might know whether or not that person is right for you but you know giving them a couple chances to you know really show you who they are and how they intend to help you is important um but I, the i decided to cut her off just because i felt like she wasn't actually listening to me mm. and with therapy especially listening is super key if mm. you're able to make the client or the patient feel like they're being heard being seen and you're able to not only show that but be able to give um I, i'm not going to say give advice because because giving advice is actually not what therapists are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're, they're supposed to help lead you to a solution. And if that person isn't able to lead you to a solution that works for you, then that shouldn't be a therapist for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is a skill level thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because this particular therapist, I felt like she wasn't listening to me because she would just talk at me all the time and mm-hmm. she wouldn't ask me questions, which is huge. That I think that's a big indicator to know whether or not a therapist has the right skill level is do they ask more questions than they talk? Mm-hmm. Because that's a, that's a huge thing. I think that's a blanket statement for all therapists, right. uh, no matter what field you're in. Um, but yes, if they, if they take time to ask questions more than they, than they speak, that is a good sign that they're, they know what they're doing. Um, another thing is to, to really evaluate um, what what are the exercises or what are the what is the homework that they're giving you and mm. if you don't feel like it matches or if you don't feel like at least in the next session it helps you feel better in, in a certain way then or if it doesn't help uh, um, resolve the problem that you guys have decided you're going to work on then that's also a sign that they're they're probably misaligned and they might be using more. Um, I don't know, templated things mm. um, like that per- particular therapist was giving me these exercises that had nothing to do with what I expressed w- were my concerns. <laughs> so, mm. so that was very interesting to me because I was like, okay, number one, you're not really listening. Number two, you're giving me stuff. That's kind of like, it feels like busy work. It doesn't feel like it's actually helping. And I'm telling you what I need help with very explicitly. And you're not doing that. So, so I think the biggest thing is, you know, being, being able to feel like you're heard and you're understood is foundational for a therapist. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think what you're describing is um, empath. You know, they call it empathetic listening. You know, and there's like so many different levels of listening, and so some people they listen, they're kind of hearing you, but they're thinking of their next response. You know, and so it might come across as they're talking at you. And so empathetic listening is like truly having no agenda. You know, your thoughts are just totally listening to that other person. You're feeling what they're feeling. And then like, you don't have, you know, sometimes you might not have a response right then and there. And, you know, you wait a few seconds to really think about what they said. And then, you know, you reply. So um, yeah, I, I could see why that would be so important in the therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for somebody who's going through um, mental health challenges, right? A lot of people, like the reason why they go to therapy is because they don't feel like they're heard in other situations, you mm -hmm. know, whether that be in their family life or friends or, or you know, whoever it is in their life. And so they mm -hmm. need somebody to actually show them uh, that they're heard and that they have a right. voice. So absolutely. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, speaking about like, just talking to people and like listening to them. I mean, I'm sure you do that a lot on your podcast, you know, listening to your guests and their expertise. So have you had any particular discussion with your guests where, you know, maybe they change your paradigm or they said something that deeply impacted you? Yeah, I, I feel like almost every single guest I have changes my mindset in some way or, you know, teaches me something that's, that's really important. Um, and something that I can really take with me as I go along. And I think it's those conversations that are really impactful for the show and also for my own personal journey. Um, Cause I tend to ask questions that are, it, it, it applies to my audience. Yes. But it also applies to me because I am very curious about a lot of things in this person's life. And, hmm. you know, I'm curious what their journey has been and how they kind of similar to other questions you're asking um, in your podcast. And, you know, I, I think there's always a level of curiosity that that yields something new. If you're if you're open to being curious and you're open to um, kind of understanding somebody else's journey, you're going to take away something that um, impacts you and that that helps you out. Um, I, I had a, a really great conversation with um, Alicia Gwynn. Uh, she's the, the wife of the late and great Tony Gwynn from the San Diego Padres. Mm -hmm. and um she's she's older I can't tell you how old she's but she's she's an older woman but um uh she she told she was talking a lot about character and she was talking about um she calls it the ABCs of um of character and it's how mm. she she navigates life and the first one being her attitude um the second one being behavior and C, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, um, you know, her attitude, behavior and her thoughts ultimately were how she was able to carry herself so well being mm. the wife of somebody famous. And, you know, she's a very ambitious woman herself. She has, I don't even know how many businesses, at least three or four. And she has written a book and she's, you know, has, has done a whole bunch of charity work as well. And so being like activating and, and living at such a high level and knowing that that person also really pays attention to their attitude, their behavior, and, you know, 
works to heal and to develop themselves on the inside before they do on the outside that really impacted me because it's like okay you know that's something that I was doing um but it it's something hearing it from somebody who is a lot older and a lot farther in their journey kind of helps solidify that or emphasize it in mm-hmm. a way that allows you to um have more confidence in what you're doing so that for me stood out mm. yeah that's so powerful attitude, thoughts, behaviors. You know, I start to think like, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a muscle, you know, like if you go to the gym you go pretty consistently, you're building all this muscle and then you don't go for months, weeks, years, you know, your muscles start to deflate, you start to lose muscle, right? So what if like, you know, with these working on your attitudes, your behaviors, your thoughts, you know, like, you do it for so long and then you fall off. It's like, you start to go back to losing, you know, having a positive attitude, losing, having positive behaviors that are going to help your life, losing the positive thoughts and you go back to the negativity. Cause you know, we're, you know, like you said, most of our thoughts are inherently negative. Right. And so I, I start to think about that and like, you know, I've fallen off from that, you know, from time to time. And then I, you know, now, like, I feel like, I start to fall off the past year or two, and then I'm starting to get back into it, you know? And so recognizing that and, and, um, and, you know, learning from people like yourself and surrounding myself with other positive people, you know, is, could be really helpful too. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would arguably say your community or the people you surround yourself with is the most important thing to influencing you in, a a direction, whether it be positive or negative. So you're right. Yeah. If we fall off in any sort of way, the the easiest and the best way to get back on track is to surround yourself with people who have a positive mindset or, you know, just even listening to podcasts, listening to positive um, YouTube videos, you know, Mm -hmm. positive music, anything that we input into our brains is going to influence us in one way or the other. So, um, and that's important for a time and day and age where negative media is so persistent. Um, Granted, there is a lot of positive media out there, but whatever algorithm you're subscribing to, whether on purpose or not on purpose is going to feed you. So Mm -hmm. if you're subscribing to the negative media, it's going to continue to pop up on your feed and that's going to continue to feed your brain. And that's, that'll be the, the feed of your brain. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we have to be very aware of. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, to wrap up, like, you know, you talk to so many different women, you kind of see the struggles, you know, some women struggle with this some with something else. So if you had to give like one piece of advice to like women that are struggling out there, like what would your piece of advice be that you feel like would make the most positive impact in their lives? Yeah, there's definitely a lot that I could say, Um, but I'll go back to the thing that really breaks my heart. The thing that really breaks my heart is seeing women in a place where they feel stuck, where they cannot move or they feel like they don't have the ability to move. And whether that be a relationship, a job, a family life, friendships, it could be anything. If you feel like you're stuck and you cannot move, I would first just say you're not alone. 
and I've been there. A lot of other women have been there and it's a place that you can get out of is the first thing you can get out of there. Um, and I would challenge you to really marinate on it because if you aren't able to believe that you're able to get unstuck, you are going to be stuck for a very long time. And I, I just want to tell you and and really encourage you that you 100% can get out of that difficult situation that you're in. It's just going to take baby steps and it's not, it might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen next week. It might not happen next month. It might not happen next year. But you know what? As long as you keep on taking those steps one by one, you can get yourself to a place where you can look back at where you've been and realize that you're out of that place or you're so much further from the dark place that you were in that now you have more confidence to continue walking forward and, and to continue going in that direction. So that's, that's my biggest uh, advice that I could give is to, to really keep on going, take the baby steps and believe that you can get unstuck. Wow. That is so powerful. What a great way to end. Thank you so much, Keone, for being on. Uh, where can people find you? Thanks, Fong. Uh, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at growing to be Kiani, all spelled out. And my name is spelled K-I-A-N-I. And that's really where I, I post everything. So uh, I have a lot of travel content as well. I'm a world traveler. So I post about the podcast, about self-development, mental health, and also traveling. And you can find the podcast. It's called Grow to Be Free. And it's on anywhere that you find podcasts. So I'm sure Fong will put some links in the show notes or <laughs> something like that where you can find it. Um, but yeah, I also have a free 10 minute reset. It's a guided meditation that you can uh, get for free. And what it is, it's, it's a video that can help guide you through a meditative practice for about 10 minutes. And it's called a reset because it's for people who experience a lot of overwhelm, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, and it helps you to reset your mind. So that way you can move forward throughout your day or throughout the evening whenever you're listening to it um, with a uh, a reset mind so that way you can uh, be more positive and also have a clear mind ahead of you and you can start to get stuff done so um, I'm sure we'll also have that link in the show notes as well so you can get that for free awesome thank you so much Keani thank you everybody for listening or watching I'll see you in the next episode bye Thanks. <laughs>